Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 176. Today's big Bible question considers the verse, by his stripes we are healed. Does this verse promise physical healing? Well, hello, friends. Happy Lord's Day to you. As has become the norm, and I actually think I said that exact phrase last Sunday, please allow me to invite you to our church live stream today at VBC Salinas on Facebook. It'll be at 11 a.m. Pacific time. All you got to do is go over to Facebook and type in VBC, that's Victor Bravo Charlie Salinas, S-A-L-I-N-A-S. You will find our page, just like the page, and join us for the live stream. And be sure and say hi. I want to see you there and say hello to you. Um, We are going to be live streaming our Sunday morning and Wednesday night gatherings for the foreseeable future. So we'd love to have you join us uh, 11 a.m. on Sunday, 7 p.m. on Wednesday evenings. Today, our church leadership team and their families are gathering together in our church sanctuary for our first church meeting together in one place since mid-March. That is an astonishing 14 weeks ago, and that's more than a quarter of a year. Now, I cannot believe it has been 14 weeks. I never imagined a cataclysm that could keep the church from meeting together in person for that long. Lord, come quickly and end this pandemic. Well, today's Bible readings include Deuteronomy 25, Psalms 117 and 118, Isaiah 52, and Matthew chapter 1. As a bit of trivia, Psalms 117 is the shortest chapter in the entire Bible, and Psalms 119 is the longest. Lots of email forwards and things like that will tell you that Psalm 118 is the middle chapter of the Bible, but that's actually not true. Psalms 117 is also the middle chapter of the Bible. Well, today we're starting over in the New Testament in Matthew 1. Yesterday we finished the New Testament, and starting over gives me, as a podcaster, a daily Bible podcaster, a few challenges. For one, I'm slightly worried that after almost 180 episodes uh, of the podcast, I might revisit a topic. In fact, I did that once before. I wrote an entire episode of the podcast a few weeks ago on the exact topic we had covered like 100 episodes before. I mean, I forgot. It was was 100 episodes ago. A lot had happened since then. Well, that mistake took quite a bit of editing to uh, change that topic around a little bit and make it right. Once I realized my mistake. Well, I comfort myself with this thought. If I've forgotten we've covered a topic, eh, maybe you will too. Well, today's topic can be a bit of a controversial one. There's a very famous passage in Isaiah 53 that looks forward to the atoning death of Jesus on the cross and makes the declaration that we are healed by his wounds, or the more famous version, the King James, says, by his stripes we are healed. Well, let's go read all of Isaiah 53, and as we do, let's ask the question, is this passage about physical healing or something else entirely? Isaiah 53, chapter 1 in the Christian Standard Bible, who has believed what we have heard, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him 
no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment, and who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, But he was with a rich man at his death, because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and by his hand the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels, and yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. Now, friends, this passage in Isaiah was written approximately 700 years before Jesus came around. And I defy any skeptic to explain what's going on here. Now, some skeptics will say, well, this is part of Deutero-Isaiah or Tritero-Isaiah. It's second or third Isaiah. It was written way after. Well, regardless, even the most critical of scholars will recognize that Isaiah 53 was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Uh, I believe it's in the neighborhood of 700 years before Jesus was born. Well, this is talking about the Messiah suffering for the sins of humanity, God putting the punishment for sins on him. This is one of the clearest gospel passages in the entire word of God. One of the clearest ones to proclaim what Jesus did for us on the cross. And it happened 700 years before the event. Imagine the United States 700 years ago. Well, it hadn't been discovered. Well, unless Leif Erikson had, but it hadn't been discovered by Christopher Columbus. It was populated by bunches of tribes of Native Americans, completely different from the land we see now. And yet here's this prophecy about Jesus who's going to die on the cross for our sins, written hundreds of years before he came. How can you explain that as a skeptic? How can you explain that away? Well, I guess you could say, oh, there was a conspiracy. Jesus and his disciples were really familiar with Isaiah 53. So they sort of arranged it so he would die for the sins of everybody to keep in accord with Isaiah 53. Well, you know what? If he did that, it's awfully funny that none of the Gospels ever quote Isaiah 53 in quite that same context, uh, especially in this passage that we're talking about today, Isaiah 53, 5. Very, very interesting how this works when you think about it being hundreds of years, literally, before Jesus came on the scene. Well, that's not even part of what I plan to talk about today. Let's get back into the t- the plan. I have seen and heard 
many, many Christians claim Isaiah 53, 5 is a promise from God that they will be healed. Well, claiming, quote, claiming a verse is an interesting phenomenon. Basically, it works like this. You kind of find a promise in the Bible you really like. Well, let's take Jeremiah 29, 11 as an example. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. King James Version says, to prosper you. Well, that's a great verse. It was written initially to those who were exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon and was a promise to them that, to those people, that God, after 70 years, would bring them back and prosper them. Well, how many times have you seen that passage on a church sign or somebody's Facebook wall or whatever? But is it a true promise for us? Can we take this passage and, quote, claim it as our own? Does God indeed promise to prosper all people who claim this verse? Well, I guess the answer to that question sort of depends on what is meant by prosper, doesn't it? If you take that verse and claim it to mean that God is going to make you rich and blessed and healthy and highly favored and successful and prosperous from the world's perspective, you might just be disappointed. In fact, you probably will be disappointed. So for one, 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10 says, Those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So wealth and riches can be very dangerous for some. Well, for another reason to not claim Jeremiah 29, 11, it's not written down as a verse that is written to all of God's followers to promise to make them rich, healthy, powerful, and prosperous. It's a promise written to the exiled people of Israel that God has not forgotten his purposes for them. Will God prosper all who are in Christ? Absolutely, far beyond our wildest dreams. Some of us on earth in the land of the living, but honestly, most not on earth. Most, the prospering will come in eternity. So if you claim Jeremiah 29, 11, and God doesn't make you rich and wealthy and powerful and famous and all that, you're going to be disappointed. But not because God wasn't faithful or not because God didn't keep his promise, but because you took a tiny portion of God's word out of context, twisted it to mean something it never meant before, and then actually readdressed it to yourself in your context when it was a promise that was not made directly to you. This dynamic is why it is so important not to just take a small piece of God's word and run with it, but to understand the greater context of what he is saying to us. When I'm talking to my children, for instance, I don't want them to just fixate on a short phrase of what I said and run with it, utterly ignoring everything else. I kind of want them to listen to all of it, right? Which brings us back to Isaiah 53.5. Is this a passage, a promise that Jesus will physically heal all of his people now in the present. Well, I don't think it is that definitive of a promise. In fact, I think it actually points primarily to a higher and deeper reality than physical healing. And we know this because of the context of the passage of Isaiah 53, and even more so because of how the New Testament refers back to this passage. For instance, 1 Peter 2 says, uh, verse 24 and 25, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. 
for you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So we can see that this passage is not here used in the context of physical healing. And it's not used in the context of physical healing either by Paul in 1 Corinthians, Luke in the book of Acts, or James in James 5, all books that discuss supernatural healing in some depth. Now, let me say this. I absolutely believe in the spiritual gift of healing, and I believe it has not ceased. I think it's still active in the church because that's what the Word seems to teach. And, of course, that doesn't mean I believe in the charlatan TV preachers, healers who do these crazy, outrageous things. But I believe, uh, for instance, the command of James 5 still applies when sick. Call for the elders of the church to pray for you, and God will heal. That's a promise to latch on to because that's a passage that is definitively about healing. Uh, now, we should claim and proclaim Isaiah 53.5 from the rooftops. Write it on your bathroom mirror. Share it on social media. Just realize that it doesn't appear to be uh, speaking primarily of physical healing, but something much deeper and more eternal. It is speaking of the death, primarily, of Christ in our stead, which healed us from the power of sin and death. Now, it is true that, uh, I believe it's Matthew, Matthew 8, Matthew connects uh, some of the healings of Jesus with an earlier part of Isaiah 53, and actually says Jesus is fulfilling uh, a part of Isaiah 53 when he heals people. And so I think there is a connection in Isaiah 53 to physical healing. But that one particular verse we're talking about now, the one that is prime, that is, you know, fairly constantly claimed on social media and such as a promise of physical healing by his stripes, we are healed by his wounds, we are healed. That doesn't seem to apply primarily to physical healing, but to spiritual healing and salvation. So maybe you're in a situation right now where you need physical healing. Well, don't be discouraged by that. Let's look at James 5, which says this in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That's James five thirteen through 16. So is Isaiah 53, 5 about physical healing? Well, in a sort of way, Matthew applies Isaiah 53 to some of the physical healing ministry of Jesus. But if we take that passage as a promise to everybody who's sick or hurt or whatever that God is absolutely positively going to heal them, well, we're missing something. We're taking scripture out of the context it's supposed to be in. Isaiah 53, 5, as Peter has shown us, refers first and foremost to the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. So let's not claim that verse in an out-of-context sort of way, if we even can claim verses in, in the sort of the way that some people do it, but let's stand on the promises of the Bible that really do apply to our situation. And for instance, for physical healing, we'll stand on James 5 and other passages like that. And I think when we're doing that, when we do that, 
we're going to rightly divide the word. So, something to ponder. Let's continue with Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 1. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you take possession of it and live in it, take some of the first of all the land's produce that you harvest from the land the Lord your God is giving you and put it in a basket. Then go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to have his name dwell. When you come before the priest who is serving at that time, say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have entered the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give to us. Then the priest will take the basket from you and place it before the altar of the Lord your God. You are to respond by saying in the presence of the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean. He went down to Egypt with a few people and resided there as an alien. There he became a great, powerful, and populous nation. But the Egyptians mistreated and oppressed us and forced us to do hard labor. So we called out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our cry and saw our misery, hardship, and oppression. Then the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, with terrifying power and with signs and wonders. He led us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I have now brought the first of the land's produce that you, Lord, have given me. You will then place the container before the Lord your God and bow down to him. You, the Levites, and the resident aliens among you will rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given you in your household. When you have finished paying all the tenth of your produce in the third year, the year of the tenth, you are to give it to the Levites, resident aliens, fatherless children, and widows, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Then you will say in the presence of the Lord your God, I have taken the consecrated portion out of my house. I have also given it to the Levites, resident aliens, fatherless children, and widows, according to all the commands you gave me. I have not violated or forgotten your commands. I have not eaten any of it while in mourning or removed any of it while unclean or offered any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the Lord my God. I have done all you commanded me. Look down from your holy dwelling from heaven and bless your people Israel in the land you have given us as you swore to our ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. The Lord your God is commanding you this day to follow these statutes and ordinances. Follow them carefully with all your heart and all your soul. Today you have affirmed that the Lord your God, the Lord is your God, and that you will walk in his ways, keep his statutes, commands, and ordinances, and obey him. And today the Lord has affirmed that you are his own possession, and as he promised you, that you are to keep all his commands, that he will elevate you to praise, fame, and glory above all the nations he has made, and that you will be a holy people to the Lord your God as he promised. Psalm chapter 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Glorify him, all peoples. For his faithful love to us is great. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Hallelujah. Psalms 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let Israel say, his faithful love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his faithful love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His faithful love endures forever. I called to the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and put me in a spacious place. The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. What can a mere mortal do to me? The Lord is my helper. Therefore, I will look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humanity. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in nobles. All the nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished like a fire among thorns. 
In the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. They pushed me hard to make me fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. There are shouts of joy and victory in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand performs valiantly. The Lord's right hand is raised. The Lord's right hand performs valiantly. I will not die, but I will live and proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord disciplined me severely, but did not give me over to death. Open the gates of righteousness for me. I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the Lord's gate. The righteous will enter through it. I will give thanks to you because you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord. It is wondrous in our sight. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God and has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. From Abraham to David. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Aram. Aram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Amon. Amon fathered Josiah. And Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel. Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel fathered Abiad. Abiad fathered Eliakim. Eliakim fathered Azor. Azor fathered Zadok. Zadok fathered Akim. Akim fathered Eliad. Eliad fathered Eleazar. Eleazar fathered Matan. Matan fathered Jacob. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the exile to Babylon and to the Messiah, 14 generations. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. 
See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Father, for the gift of Jesus. May the Lord bless you, friends. May it be a wonderful Lord's Day today. Look to the sky, look to the heavens, and rejoice. Your King is coming. Amen. Godspeed.